Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Well, good morning. Uh, We are officially seven days away from Christmas. I don't know about you, but that is just crazy to me that we are so close to Christmas. Christmas is actually next Sunday. And as uh, Ian announced, we won't have service that day. We will have a Christmas Eve service, and that will be the final service of our year. But I figured since we're close to Christmas, I want to start out with an Advent scripture. Um, How many of you know that that period of time leading up to Christmas is Advent, right? Advent? All right, so uh, if it's okay with you, uh, I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Is it okay with you? If it wasn't, I'd still do it. So (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at... Uh, verses 1 through 7. I want you to think about this. This was written 700 years before Jesus' birth. That's approximate. It's not exact. But 700 years before Jesus' birth. um, That is quite the prophet. To be able to prophesy something that would happen seven centuries later. But Isaiah says this. It says, but there will... Be no more gloom for her, that's Israel, who was in anguish. But that's not just Israel, that is, as this prophecy is fulfilled, anyone in anguish, there will be no more gloom. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness, say this with me, have seen a great light. That darkness right there, it's not just, uh, this is not a cultural uh, climate thing. This is spiritual darkness. The people who walk in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. Let me just stop right here, because how can Isaiah write this as something that has happened, although it has not happened yet? He says, the people who walk in darkness have seen, past tense, a great light. Now, Isaiah is on the receiving end of what God is speaking to him. Isaiah is not just coming up with this and manufacturing this on his own. He's on the receiving end of what God says, you tell the people. Now, this is 700 years before Jesus' Uh, birth, but this is also while Israel as a whole is in exile. They've been taken uh, away into captivity, and he's saying, hey, you might be in the middle of darkness right now, but there will be a day that there will be, uh, you will see great light. Matter of fact, I'm going to write it this way, have seen a great light. This phrase right here is written in Hebrew perfect past tense. So why is it written as something that has happened, though it hasn't happened yet? Because listen, When God revealed this prophecy to Isaiah, he wanted him to understand that though this has not happened yet, you can can count uh, count on it like you're going to the bank, that with certainty, it is going to happen. So I'm going to have you say it as if it's already happened, so that you can be certain it will happen. And how many of you know that 700 years later, it happened? The people who walk in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. In verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. 
Yeah, they will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break, this is so good, for you shall break the yoke of their burden. How many of you have got a burden that needed to be broken? And the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. That's a reference to Gideon. If you ever read Judges, that's a reference to Gideon when Gideon miraculously overcame the Midianites by just following God's instructions. Let's go to verse 6, and this is the familiar Advent scripture. For unto us a child will be born, unto us a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government. So good. We need someone that is righteous in a position of government that will rule forever. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And I love this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, that word zeal is the passion of God for his people will make this happen. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk on the topic, life between the advents. Life between the advents. I'm going to do the best I can to make that make sense uh, in light of what we just read and some other scriptures that I'm going to be sharing. But here's the big question this morning. Number one, should advent impact the way that we live our lives? And if so, how should it impact that? Should it impact our lives, and how should it do it? Let me just give you the simple answer to the first question. Yes. <laughs> Advent should impact how you live your lives. It should. But we're going to get into the how in a minute, but let's, let's pray before we do that. Will you join me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, as the song said, you would rest upon us, God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would breathe upon your word this morning, that you would make it living, that we would go from reading it to it being a living thing that we absorb, that we take into our spirit and into our soul. And God, just speak to us as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Out of all of the adjectives that God gave Isaiah, to use to first describe his, his son coming into the world. By the way, Advent, if you don't already know this, it means arrival. It means arrival. Okay, So Advent, as you know, is the season before Christmas that we prepare our hearts for Jesus' arrival. Matter of fact, it was started by monks, I think in the 3rd or 4th century, they would fast the entire month of December to Christmas because they wanted to get themselves ready to honor and celebrate Jesus' birth. But out of all of the adjectives that God could have used, or that God gave Isaiah to use, to first describe the advent of Jesus' coming, Jesus, uh, Isaiah describes Jesus' arrival as light. Light. We see this in Isaiah 9 too. The people who walk in spiritual darkness have seen... A great light. 
Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. We see light referenced and used to describe Jesus over and over and over and over again through several other scriptures. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. When Jesus was dedicated in the temple, Luke chapter 2, verses 28 through 33, then he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant. In other words, I can die now. You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. So we see light with Jesus in Luke chapter 2. We also see it in John's description of Jesus. In John 1, verse 4, In Him Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there came a man, came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So we see light over and over and over again. And not only was Jesus referred to as light, but Jesus referred to himself as light. We see this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, listen, Jesus was light coming into the world, and scripturally, his light represents several different things. And I want you to understand this uh, as we use this symbol or, or we think about Jesus as the light of the world. Number one, Jesus' light represents the holiness of God. The holiness of God. By the way, you don't want God to not be holy. Okay, the holiness of God is the perfection of God. It is the, the purity of God. The holiness of of God. Jesus was the holiness of God. In, Jesus, in God's mind, he deemed it holy for perfection to come into the world to get onto a cross and die on behalf of humanity. That was a holy thought. Jesus as light also represents the goodness of God. That's his character. God is good. Verse uh, number three and four. The knowledge and wisdom of God. If you want to know how God thinks, look at what Jesus did and said. Okay? This is, it is revealed in Jesus. The knowledge and wisdom is revealed in Jesus. That's why I've heard it said multiple times that Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know who God is, look to the person of Jesus what he did and what he said, and you gain your understanding of the thoughts and minds and heart of God through the person of Jesus. He's the grace of God. He's the grace of God. He's the hope of God. That's other, there's other scriptures in Advent that talk about 
the, the, the hope of Jesus. He's the hope of God. How many of you have ever been sick? One of the greatest things ever, and I think about this in terms of light, but one of the greatest things ever is if you've ever been sick at night. How many of you have been sick at night, but you've, you've been able to watch the sun come up? It, for some reason, it brings hope. Like you've gotten into another day. So this light, Jesus is the hope of God because this light is like a new dawn rising. And he's the revelation of God. So he reveals the character and nature of God. And one that I did not add that we talked about, he's the love of God. Amen? Amen. So we see in these passages of scripture, we see it prophesied that the light is coming to the world. Jesus is born, he gets dedicated, and he is, uh, it is prophesied over him by Simeon that he is the light of revelation that has come. We see John describing Jesus in John 1 as the light. We see him referencing uh, to light uh, himself in John chapter 8. But it's not just there. It's also revealed all the way in Revelation 21 that Jesus is the light. We see this in verses 22 through 26. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminates it. And watch this. And its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the light, even in heaven. And this scripture is so beautiful because when you consider the chaos and craziness on a world scope, look at verse 24. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. In other words, that will be a safe and secure environment. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So we see at Jesus' first advent, that is his first arrival, that he is the light of the world. And you see all the way at the end, he is still the light. But he's not just the light of the world, he is the light of eternity. From beginning to end, Jesus is, was, and will be the light. So where are we in the scope and scale of Advent? When you consider the beginning and you consider the end, where are we? We're right in the middle of it. Our life is lived in the middle of Advent. Do you know that there's not just one Advent, there will be a second? Okay? The reason why we get to Revelation 21 and Jesus is the light of all of eternity is that is coming off of the tail end of him coming again. Amen. There was an advent at the beginning, which was Jesus' arrival into the world. And then there will be another advent where he will arrive into the world. And here's the interesting thing. It caught the shepherds off guard, but it didn't catch the wise men. The wise men had prepared for this arrival. So where will you and I be when the second advent comes? Will we be caught off guard? 
Or will we understand that the Advent should impact the way that we live our lives to the place that we stay in a spirit of readiness and preparation for the Advent? Because if it was prophesied 700 years before he came, if that Advent Advent was prophesied 700 years and it happened, you better believe he will come again. This is not a theory. This is not a suggestion. It is going to happen. So where are you in understanding that you are living between the Advents? And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So back to our original question, should Advent, and I'm going somewhere, so you are like, okay, I get it. Should Advent impact, impact the way we live our lives, and if so, How? Well, the answer, as earlier I said, the answer is yes. Yes, it should impact the way that we live our lives. So then, how should it impact? Well, Jesus makes that really, really, really clear. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Look at this. You are the light of the world. He didn't come just to be the light. He came to light other people so that they would be the light. You are the light of the world. How crazy is it that Jesus, the light of the world, is like, no, you are. You could be in there. You could be. I, I imagine if it was probably Peter and this is off script, but Peter would be like, no, you're the light of the world. No, you are, Peter. Well, no, you're the light of the world. No, we're both the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your, uh, your Father who is in heaven. In other words, I'm telling you that you can live your life in a way that is so light that people will only be able to say, there must be God behind that. Right. And he said, I don't, I don't make people light and then cover them up. So we should not be doing that either. Our light is not to be something closed off, concealed, and hidden. It's supposed to be out in the middle of everywhere that we go. Because the light of the world told us that we're the light of the world. It goes on to say in the message translation, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. On this topic, I love this this quote. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church, but the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. 
You are the light of the world. This is the light of the church, but we are the light of the world. And in order for you to be light of the world, you got to get the light of the church in you. You can't be light out there without, by, by starving yourself of what produces light on the inside of you. The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. Jesus makes it abundantly clear here that between the advent of his birth and the advent of his return, you and I are to be the light of the world in between the advents. Until his return, that second advent, we are to represent the holiness of God. That's why, that's why morality matters today. Because we are to represent the whole holiness of God. The holy, Peter said, be holy because he's holy. So we are to conduct ourselves with holiness. We are to be, bring the goodness of God into our world. We are to declare the wisdom and knowledge of God. We are to dispense the grace of God. We are to be the dealers of the hope of God. And we are the ones to reveal the revelation of God to people. We, listen, you and I are the light of the world until the light of the world returns. The church is just a building. It may hold the light for a while, but then the light gets released into the world. Paul echoes these same truths in Philippians 2.15 when he says that we are to appear as lights in the world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So we are to be the light of the world between the advent. Between the advent. You know, Jim shared about a remnant church and if you know anything about remnant, remnant refers to the people of God that are ready and prepared when Jesus returns. And he said something that is interesting. He said, and matter of fact, I, I, wanna, I, want, I want you to understand something. Don't take this lightly. Don't take it lightly when the Holy Spirit speaks the same thing to multiple different people for one Sunday morning. Okay, there's, it's one thing for me to come up here with a random message that isn't confirmed. But I'm telling you, when somebody says something to me, and then Pastor Dwight closes the way he closed, and I talk to Betty and his confirmation, what that should tell you is that the Holy Spirit has a theme yeah. that you should take heed of in the season that it's spoken. And so this is the, this is the, the, the series of events Jim really gets a prophetic word three weeks ago, and he says, he was just holding on to it. He said, I, I don't feel like when the time is. I don't know when the right time is. He said, but I'll, I'll do this. He said, if Caleb walks up to me this morning, then I will share it with him, and I'll know that today's supposed to be the day that it's shared. So I'm, sure enough, walking down the aisle. By the way, you don't even know when you're being led by God sometimes. So I'm walking down the aisle. I greet Jim. He says, I need to share something with you. So he shares that. And then I'm like, hey, Jim, that's my message this morning. Wow. 
and we're going to get into it. How, how are we the light of the world? How does that happen? If I could have the worship team come forward. Listen to this. Because you have to get it. I'm going to land the plane. It's going to be a slow descent. But here we go. You cannot be the light of Jesus very long without oil. You can't be light very long without oil. See, we often think of light in our modern, modern cultural context as something we can just flip on and flip off. Just a light switch. But when Jesus was speaking to them at the time, he wasn't even talking about candles. He was talking about the reality that in order for you to have light, you have to have an oil that gives the light a constant supply. How many of you have ever been to Cracker Barrel and seen the oil lamps? Think that. That light doesn't last long without oil. There has to be a supply of it that is given over and over and over again so that the light can stay burning. Listen to me this morning. Jesus is not coming back for a church that used to be light. He is going to be coming back for a church that stays lit in the midst of the darkness. And in order for a church and a people to have light, you have to have oil. Fast forward with me now to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And listen to me. He's speaking to them about the state of the church and the state of God's people upon his return at the second advent. In other words, he is sharing this parable to get his people to realize that you may be in the middle of the advent, but you don't know when the second advent's coming. And I want you to be ready. This was shared over 2,000 years ago, and Jesus said you need to be ready. 2,000 years ago. How much more now in 2022 do we need to be ready for Jesus' return? Because Jesus has not come back yet. If he came back yet, read Revelation, you and I would know. But nevertheless, Jesus wants his people to be ready. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. By the way, I just want to stop right here and say there are a lot of things that can be done without oil. You can be light short term without oil, but if you're going to be a light that lasts, you have to have oil. And this par parable uh, shares that the other five were wise enough to take along extra uh, oil. Why did they do this? Because light can't shine long-term without oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Welcome to the state of the church. You read Revelation, you read these parables, and people are like, that won't be tomorrow. And I'm not even going to use the fear of like, you know, he's coming back right now. You better give your life to Jesus. I, I don't know. 
And do you know Jesus doesn't either? It says in Revelation that Jesus treads the winepress of God's wrath until God says, it's time to come. And so here we are in between the advents, but hear me this morning, this has to impact the way that we live our lives. And in verse 5, they all fell asleep because they thought, he left, but it'll be a while. And at midnight, they were roused by the shout, just like the advent in the beginning when Jesus arrived. Shepherds in the middle, and out of nowhere, angels appear. They were roused in the middle of the night. It says, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Where? What time is it? What time is it? It's midnight. That wasn't like a trick question. Look at the verse. (laughs) If you don't see it on screen, hopefully you got your Bible. It is midnight. It's in the middle of the darkness that Jesus wants his church to go out and meet him. He doesn't want them isolated in a building because here's the truth about light. Light is not needed amongst other light. It is needed most in the darkness. So we come together and we got our lights and we love our lights mingling and hanging out. But here's the truth. This is not where the light needs to be. The light needs to be out in the darkness. And so I love this specific, particular phrase that Jesus shares. He comes back and there's an announcement Get out of your your slumber and go out and meet him in the darkness. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Listen to me. You can't borrow someone else's oil. You got to get it yourself. You can't get someone else's oil. You have to get the oil by yourself in nine. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going to get the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And here's the, 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 the scripture to heed. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. There's a lot of layers to the story, but I want to focus in on a couple of things. Obviously, this is a parable, but the people in the parable represent different things. Number one, we have ten bridesmaids, five foolish and five wise. What is the purpose of a bridesmaid? Who... Who do bridesmaids serve? They serve the bride. So the bridesmaids are who? We are the church, and we are the bridesmaids. Collectively, we are the church. But we are the bridesmaids because we have a responsibility to serve the agency that God left on the earth. So the bridesmaids serve the bride. If you want to know 
that, and the bride is the church, Ephesians 5. So if the bridemaids are followers of Jesus, who are ser- of Jesus who are serving the church, then who is the bridegroom? Jesus. So as the story goes, Jesus in the least expected moment returns and he expects to find all his followers shining and not only shining, but meeting him in the darkness with their light. But he comes back, listen to me this morning, to only find five that are shining because of what? There's only five shining because the other five don't have oil. I'm just telling you, as the days progress, there will be a chasm that grows in the state of the church between those that have the oil and those that don't. And you know why? Because people don't even read the end of the story and talk about it. You're not going to be able to prepare a church for Jesus' return at Jesus' return. You talk about it now to get people into a preparation and a readiness. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I better have oil. There's only five that have oil. In order to be light, we've got to have oil. Light is not something we switch on and off. Light has to have a fuel source. And do you want to know what the oil is? The oil isn't a thing, it's a person, and the person is the Holy Spirit. He said there were five in the church that had the oil, the Holy Spirit, and there were another five that didn't. And let me tell you, that is a real thing. Over 200 times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referenced to and described as oil. Oh, we got to have the oil. You have to have the oil in order to be the light. Listen to me this morning, because you got to get this. It was the Holy Spirit that was the means by which the light of the world entered into the world. It was the Holy Spirit that was the means by which Jesus was empowered with the anointing to bring the light to the Gentiles at his baptism. It was the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples to wait for in the upper room so that the early church would be empowered to have the light. And when God comes back, whatever that is, he is going to be looking for those who meet them in the midst of this dark world with their lights burning. There is no light without oil. Why do you think Scripture says that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? Because your light doesn't last long. It doesn't. And you know this because you walk out of that early salvation joy. You got filled, you're excited, you got oil, but if you don't get more oil, the light doesn't last. There's no light with, without oil. See, the thing, I'm just telling you, Pastor Dwight, I think you said it this, that this year has been a hard and difficult year. And there's a ramping up, isn't there? There has been a ramping up in the spirit realm of demonic activity. And you know what that's a sign of? We're just getting closer. Because even even the demonic sleeps when they don't think he's coming. But there's a ramping up because of this. I'm not trying to make everybody afraid. I'm just trying to tell you, as Redeemer's Church, what did Jim say? We are going to be a remnant church 
Remnant churches have oil. And let me tell you the other thing about remnant churches. Remnant churches don't compromise because they think oil isn't a big deal. Remnant churches make oil the thing that they're trying to get. Because you don't, you're not light when Jesus come, comes back without the oil. See, we can't, be on, we can't be the light unless we have the oil that Jesus had. And it can't be bought and you can't get someone else's oil. you got to go to the giver yourself and get the oil. But let me tell you something. The good news about the giver is he is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. Therefore, come and ask the Father that he would give you the Holy Spirit. He will not give you a stone if you ask for bread. He's, he's not withholding the oil from people. Some of you may be thinking, why are we doing a 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year? Because we're not going to be a church without oil. And let me just tell you something about oil. You don't wait till it's dry to try to get more. You, oh, it's like a water bottle. It's like, oh, we're about halfway empty. Yeah, we, need, we might as well top this off. Some of y'all are like that at the gas station. Some people in here wait till they're on E and they pray in faith till they fill up. Some of y'all are in here like, I'm a half a tank. I might as well top it off. I'm not going to figure out who is who, but I'm just saying. You don't wait till you're on E to get oil. You fill up as you go because you will, and I'm just telling you this, that there will come a day where we will not be able to live without oil. Because the luxuries that have allowed us to think and fall into a mentality that we don't really need God. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need that daily interaction. We will come to a point where all of that will be stripped away from us and you will realize what's most valuable and what's most important. And it's getting before the Lord and getting the oil because your light will not last long-term without oil. We have to stay ready. See, I love the thing about Jesus. Jesus, before Jesus ascended into, the, into heaven, he said, the church has to, need, has to get the oil that I carried for me to do all of the ministry that I was able to accomplish. So go and wait for it. See, this 21 days of prayer and fasting is not a reaction to anything. It is sowing into the future. And it's saying, we're not, we don't have little oil. But we're right primed in a perfect place to say, let's top it off. And so as you look to the forward to 2023, I really want you to prayerfully consider, what are you going to fast? What are you going to consecrate yourself? And what are you going to, to seek the Lord for? What are you going to do to spend that time with God? so that you can make sure that your light shines because you have enough oil supplied to it to shine long-term. Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? <clears throat> if you're in the room and you recognize, my, I have faith, because there's a, there's a difference here. 
Some of you may, you got faith, but you just don't have any light. The reason why you don't have light is just, it's been snuffed out. Remember, the light is for the environment around you. It's that you shine in the middle of the darkness. And if you're in the room this morning, and you recognize that you got faith, but you just don't seem to have light right now, will you just raise your hand with me? You acknowledge like, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus. God, I ask you for more oil for every person in the room. Father, for those, Lord Jesus, that their light has been snuffed out even as scripture says that the cares of the world choke the word out, that the, their lights have been snuffed out because of the cares and the concerns of the world. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, over every single person in this room that through the days to come, there would be a fresh infusion of the oil of the Holy Spirit. God, there would be a fresh infusion of anointing. There would be a fresh infusion of your manifested power. There would be a fresh infusion of the joy of the Holy Spirit. There would be a fresh infusion of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, God. I pray for oil to come. I pray for oil not to drip on our church, but to flood our church. God, that we would be a remnant church that meets you in the darkness with our lamps still lit. Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with a song. And it's a declaration and a prayer. One of the songs we sang today was Rest On Us. And as I look to that 21 days of prayer and fasting, this is what's going through my head. As the Spirit was moving over the waters, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. And this one right here really sticks out. Fire and wind. If you've ever experienced the fire of the Holy Spirit or a, a manifested demonstration of the Holy Spirit or an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you know what this is. Fire and wind, come and do it again. Open up the gates, let heaven on in, come rest on us. Will you join me as we get into that song as a declaration today uh, that I'm just asking that your hearts would be prepared for what is to come as we uh, participate in this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Come on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.